Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman, and it's time to bring the orange. Special guest today, Scott Sinclair, Senior Analyst at ESG. Scott, welcome to the program. It's great to have you. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. Yeah, so um, thanks for joining today. We're going to be chatting a little bit around Unified File and Object for Modern Data, the title of our pod today. But I'm kind of interested in, uh, in your journey. I kind of do this with every guest on the podcast about how you got your start. I know we were just chatting before we started recording that you, you know, I think you jokingly said you became an engineer not to write, and now you're an analyst. So <laughs> what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, th- I think many of us in... Uh you know, start careers in, in engineering or in the math sciences, you know, start off. And I just, I, I just hated writing in school. <laughs> I felt the grades were subjective. I felt I'd turn something in and the teacher would say, yeah, it's a C or a B. And I'm like, why? I thought it was good. Uh, but math had an answer. So yeah. I really liked that. And so I went into school and I said, okay, what degree requires the least amount of writing? They said engineering. You know, I, I then I found computers. And I said, well, these things seem interesting. So so went in, did that, and then, you know, lo and behold, through your career, I, I did that, got my MBA, and now I'm an analyst, and I write for pretty much a living. So it's been a 180-degree shift in, in terms of what I do, but have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, you couldn't really escape it. Well, and I love it, you know, I think what we all learn about math as you go through it, you know, you mentioned the math part is, you know, for a while there's an answer to math, and then at some, time, some point they pull the rug out from under, and you're not finding an answer, you're, you're going backwards and doing a proof. That's, that's when it gets really complicated, right? Exactly, exactly. It goes from answering a problem to finding out the problem and defining the problem, and that's the trick. Yeah, well, and that's kind of what we do here in technology to uh, put a little pithy segue in there. You do have a lot of experience in, in the storage industry, though, right? I mean, coming into, you know, the analyst world, I think you had about 20 years of, you know, product management and other roles. So, you, you know, super huge uh, uh, depth in that area and probably something that you're passionate about since you're still writing about it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's still passionate about it. still fascinating. You know, storage as part of the IT ecosystem really has some of the most, you know, creative and impactful technology. Yeah. Because it's what stores the data and, and data drives everything we do. Um, yeah. And yeah, I've, I've been in the storage industry for 20 years now. Gosh, it's crazy dating myself. When uh, when I first started, they're like, we have this new thing. It's called Fiber Chain. <laughs> yeah. It might be big. And so that that's that I'm dating, definitely dating myself with that. But uh, but yeah. Uh, that's, that's been my career so far. Which is awesome. I want to dive into kind of just this file and object discussion, but first I'm, I'm interested because we're in this interesting period of time right now going on with COVID. Um, what, what kind of things have you seen changing relative to the IT industry? I mean, I know we, you know, we'll talk kind of loosely about the acceleration of digital transformation, but are there any things that are common themes that are standing out for you? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think, well, you hit, you hit one, absolutely. But, what, you know, what's really happened, and this is the way I like to think about it, is COVID-19 introduced a new risk to hmm. business, right? So before, when companies said, okay, what, what can really mess, disrupt our business operations? What can mess with us from a revenue standpoint, from a, from a cost standpoint? Um, they didn't really think, what if no one can go into any offices anywhere? Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think that ever crossed anybody's mind. And so it introduces new risk. And when companies or when people and companies 
are faced with a new risk, they typically default to one or two actions. Okay, how can I pay somebody to take that risk from me? Mm -hmm. Or how can I invest in something or buy something that helps mitigate that risk, make it not so much of a problem? I'm worried about fire, I get smoke detectors, I get fire extinguishers, I get you know, other things. You know, it's, a, it's, a similar, it's a similar type phenomenon. And so one of the big things that's happened is when you think about you know, this digital initiative, well, all of a sudden there's risk and cost associated with interpersonal interaction. So what's happened? We have to go digital. So the digital, not just in how we interact as a company, but also how we interact with our customers. And what's really interesting is Wall Street Journal had an article on this uh, just a bit ago, yeah. um, which, which was excellent. Our research shows the same thing, and I love it where different research studies all show the same thing. But um, it came, the companies that were more digitally transformed, that had thought about this ahead of time, and were already moving in this direction pre-COVID-19, have weathered the storm, or at least the last few months, much better than their counterparts. Um, so, so when you think about digital initiatives, because that term gets thrown out all the time. Oh, totally. Digital totally. transformation gets overused all over the place. It's about how do we use technology to improve efficiencies and or make decisions or engage with our customers in new and different ways. And that's become incredibly valuable as interpersonal relationships or interpersonal interaction, excuse me, becomes more costly and more risky. The other, so... That, that's the big thing, is, is accelerating the digital, trans, uh, digital initiatives, digital transformation. The other big thing is this remote work really looks like it's here to stay. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we did this study on the impacts of COVID-19, and uh, 70, almost 80%, 79% of IT executives believe that their organization will be more flexible when it comes to work-from-home policies moving forward because of COVID-19. And we actually also interviewed knowledge workers, and 38% of knowledge workers said they actually think they're more productive at home than they are in the office. And then there, you know, there's also a good percentage that think it's probably about the same. So, um, so you have this productivity boost that we're gonna, that's happening from remote work. We don't have to commute. Um, and so if that shifts, we're gonna, you can almost see the possibility of the future of enterprise, of uh, the future of business being more distributed, uh, more distributed, excuse me, more digital, you know, and, and always having to be that kind of anywhere, anytime, immediate, you know, digital business and IT has to keep pace with that. Yeah, and there may be some really interesting sociological implications, right, of, you know, if you don't need to be in some geography, are we going to see, you know, the, the, the mass sort of transit of, of people going to actually live in the places they want to live instead of living in the places where the brick and mortar buildings are, right? I mean, that's something we're already kind of seeing some, some, some interesting things about. And then what are the ramifications for, you know, for HR and for salaries and things like that? It's a really, a really interesting one to, um, to, to kind of keep track of. Um, I think one of the other things that's kind of interesting, and I noticed you, you, you've done a little recent blog about this, and we are kind of heading into events season right now. It seems like fall is always the big events season, uh, are the learnings that we're all having to take on. I mean, Pure, we, we ran our digital event back in June, but everybody's trying to contend with, again, this, this lack of face-to-face for what has traditionally been a really strong industry of running events and people, you know, come and show up. What are, what are some of the observations or best practices or things that you've uh, observed uh, in, in a lot of these digital events that have been going on? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. So, you know, 
as an analyst, I go to all these. Yeah. And one of the things, so, you know, I, I typically go to all the in-person events and then that stopped with COVID. So then I started attending these digital events and I, I, I wrote this, it started off as an article, ended up as a blog uh, in response to some of the first ones I went to, where it seemed like the, the vendors that put them on basically kept the same format of what they would do for an in-person event and just said, well, we'll put it, we'll, we'll make it virtual. We'll put it yeah. online. And you find out, okay, now I'm sitting at my desk watching this hour and a half long keynote and I don't have time for this. No. <laughs> it is. Because you you know, it's one thing when you're, you're a captive audience, right. you're like, okay, this is fine. You know, I'm, 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 I'm in the dark auditorium or in the giant, you know, um, the, the giant room staring at the stage. That's, that's one thing you can get away with stuff like that. But, there's so many more distractions. So I came up with my, my two rules All right. uh, for digital events. Rule number one is you have to entertain and engage as well as inform. You know, okay. it, it has to be, you know, it has to be something that makes you want to watch it and, and engages your audience. So that's rule number one. Rule number two, assume that no one is entertained or engaged. <laughs> Because the point of it is, and it's the same thing, is, and, you know, we talked a little bit about this before the show, is we're all working from home. We have yeah. our, you know, our families, our kids are running in, you know, you're getting emails popping up. I have two screens. A lot of people have multiple screens going. And so no matter how compelling your content is, there's a good likelihood that most of your audience is multitasking or getting interrupted the entire time. So when you think about that, you not only have to make it shorter and more consumable, you know, that bite-sized content, but also right. make it really easy for people to say, oh, I missed that. Let me go back and check. Or, oh, what, what, what was he saying again? Let me go look. Let me follow up. Let me investigate on my own and learn new things. And so it's, it's not only being entertaining, but also leveraging this new medium of, of the internet and, and virtual uh, interaction in different ways to let people investigate and come back to it at their own pace because they're going to be interrupted. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And it's actually funny because I'm sitting here and on my desktop, there's a video that I've been trying to watch for the period of now two days um, <laughs> related to kind of a, a fun announcement that Pure made earlier in the week. And I'm just trying to sit through this 45 minute video with some of our, you know, our, our technical folks talking about the implications. And I've gotten about 15 minutes in over the course of two days because of the interruptions and all that. So that's, that's really, really interesting and, uh, and great advice for, for people living out there or working out there that, uh, that have anything to do with, with running events. Well, um, thanks for that backdrop. I just, I'm always curious about what's, what's on your mind. You talk to so many people and you know, we're looking at the implications of COVID in events. I am really interested to get onto the topic of discussion today, which is you know, around file and object storage. And you know, we talked a couple times prior to, to doing the, the pod here and, and kind of your initial reaction when we went into this narrative on, on uh, UFFO or, or unified file and object was that, that kind of that concept was a little bit ahead of its time. What, what did you mean by that? Like what were the implications or the history behind that? Well, you know, when I think about what, what Pure has done specifically in this area is really a combination. It's first off is the combination that UFFO, that unified file and object is from, from a, from a user standpoint, I've always said people have file problems. They don't have object problems. Yeah. Right. 
object is just what, what came about as a way to solve several problems with the file systems of the day. And what you ran into was file systems were good for some things and objects stores were good for other things. But at the end of the day, it all was storing unstructured data, storing file data, right? It's just different ways to do it. And so the idea is, you know, are they really two separate things or does the world really need a platform that can just solve its technologies or solve its, its unstructured storage problem, excuse me, and just offer the protocols you want to use similar to, you know, other multi-protocol storage devices. So to me, I think that's one aspect. The other thing is, and this is part of Pure's DNA, was um, around, especially around FlashBlade when that came out was is really one of the very first that said we're going to embrace all flash as an unstructured storage uh, as the media for unstructured storage which which actually that is is where i think much of the 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 ahead of its time or kind of groundbreaking aspects of it was because at the time the perception of unstructured storage was it was archived yeah. it was slow you know you had this uh, you know, often people would show this data pyramid, right? Only the tiny top was active. It's this giant set of cold data. We talked about cold data all the time. Yeah. Well, what's happened is the world is, data is not cold anymore. People, we're using data. The other, the, the big thing that's changed in the last few years is we've gone from storing, just storing data to now we actually have to use that data. And that's, that, that to me is the big difference. So when you have petabytes of storage, before it was, you could say, well, only a little bit is really gonna be accessible at any given time. Now you can't make that assumption anymore. Yeah, it's kind of like that data was just sitting in neutral, which, you know, again, also then has sort of the other, the other aspect of getting, you know, stuck in, in silos, right? If it's just kind of pushed off as, as to archive. And really, I think that's, that's something that, um, you know, has arisen in the last few years is sort of that whole concept of data reuse, but there there are challenges with that. I mean, I think there's a lot of times that we have discussions with with potential prospects or customers where, you know, they're they're talking about I don't know this is something jokey that we have on a slide, but a data lake has my data lake has become a data swamp, right? That it that there's there's a challenge with that just because things are not connected and there's just no data access. Is is that kind of what's holding enterprises back from really having the data reuse and unification, the, the ability to access everything? Uh, absolutely, I think, I, I think that's definitely part of it because yeah. I think it, it goes from the storing mentality, right? Is if you think about most of the, not most, but you know, you could, traditional unstructured storage, even object storage was, uh, was built around some of these ideas around, like when I say storing data, it's the idea that says, well, we have a, regu we have a regulation that requires us to keep emails for seven years. Mm -hmm. We're never gonna access those emails, but we need to keep them for seven years, things like that. Yeah. And then now what's happened is with, you talked about data lakes, you know, this, whether you call it big data, now analytics, and now transcending a little bit into machine learning and deep learning, some of these other things, is organizations saying, wait a minute, we have these massive repositories of data Let's see if we can go mine those for insights for, to make better decisions, to better engage with our customers, to better understand trends. Well, if you're doing that, then all of a sudden these repositories that were originally designed just to keep data and make sure that it doesn't, you know, that you don't lose it, but not really do anything with it. Now they actually have to be used. Yeah. So you have either data lakes that were originally architected where they weren't really designed for, 
for higher performance or low latency access they're designed mainly to keep data or you have which is often the case is not a single data lake you have multiple individual silos disaggregated and distributed all over your enterprise of different pools that you have to figure out how to coalesce and combine if you actually want to actually want to do anything with it yeah, and well, and then, and then I think that's compounded a little bit by the fact that all this data is growing exponentially, right? I mean, there's no secret percentage percentage of growth, so you've got existing lakes and existing silos, but uh, constantly are being asked to take on more and more. So what what then, you know, in order to solve this, what are the things that you need to have then to to really, you know, take on and and uh, you know, defeat this problem relative to file and object? I mean, is it simply just about scale or, or is there more to it? So scale, scale is obviously job one for any infrastructure, right? Is you have to sit and think about, we're going to have massive scale. And, and you talked a little bit about growth and I have some numbers on this. So uh, last, late last year, we did a study on of storage decision makers. And I, one of the things I asked was, okay, how much data do you have? Yeah. How much storage do you have? So 56% uh, of the IT organizations that we studied had over a petabyte. And to put that in comparison, when I asked the same question in 2017, so two years prior, it was only 23%. Okay. So the percentage had more than doubled. Yeah. Um, the other thing I asked was around data growth rates. How fast do you think your data is going to grow moving forward? And I did this for both. Um, I asked them about where did growth on-premises, so within their data center, and off-premises in the cloud. And 25% of IT organizations, so a quarter, um, expected their on-premises data, so within the data center, to grow at a rate of 50% or more year over year um, over the next three years. So, I mean, very, very high growth rates. So we're seeing not only a, an era of where people have a lot of data, but it's growing at a very, very rapid pace. Um, so scale is absolutely necessary. But the other thing that's really important is we talk about this usability. You know, you mentioned data lakes. Yeah, right. And one of the things that's really fascinating is we did a study uh, with you guys, uh, you know, a, a, a bit ago. And we looked at, uh, basically what we did is we looked at uh, how well or how, how mature a company was and an organization was in terms of their analytics usage. And so what we did was we asked them a bunch of questions around, you know, usage of analytics, investment in it, how, how prioritized is it in their environment? What does their supporting infrastructure look like? And based off of that, we came up with these levels of maturity. There was, you know, we called stage three the most mature and stage one was probably the least mature. And what was really fascinating out of the study is how much the more mature you are in using analytics is how much much more likely you were as an organization to be successful so i'll just throw some numbers at you real fast is stage three of these more mature analytics organizations identified as 3.2 times more likely to outperform their competitions and uh, their competitors in customer satisfaction they were also 2.4 times, so more than twice as likely than the than the less mature, the lowest mature, the stage one organizations, uh, to to identify as saying we have more revenue per employer. Our revenue per employee has increased over the past two years. So you see this 
so there's a there's a business correlation to using analytics and what's really fascinating too and it goes back to the data lake aspect and this is one of the things that jumped up is these these um mature organizations were nearly three times so 2.9 times more likely than the less mature organizations to say that their data lake is comprised of all or mostly flash storage versus uh, versus hard drives. It was a uh, it was 90% versus 31% were the numbers. So if you sit there and think about it, so for the most mature analytics organizations, and this was done I think last year, yeah, um, pretty much all their data lake was flash. And to me, that data point is what has fueled a lot of what I've you know, been thinking about writing about and having discussions of that shift from storing data to using data is if you think about your data lake as we need to use it, then you start understanding, well, this needs to have a high performance characteristics. It needs to think about low latency and that's the type of infrastructure we need to invest in. And that tends to correlate with companies that are very successful with analytics. No, I'm glad you brought up those uh, those data points, and I I, I know because uh, the 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 person on my team that manages our analytics solutions actually has those. I think I think in a slide somewhere. So it was it was great to hear you bring those out. But it is interesting the correlation between those that are more mature and successful. You know, having made the jump already to all flash, but also you know to potentially platforms that that help them to you know adopt and and use analytics. Um, I, I think there's other use cases though as well. I mean, we kind of just lump a lot into analytics, but there's, you know, there's log and there's AI ML, as you mentioned, and kind of classic file. Is, is there anything else in that space? I know modern apps are, you know, it's, it's a, it's a mixed bag. There's a lot out there, but, but anything else in that space from a use case standpoint that these mature enterprises were doing that, that kind of got them ahead in this space? Well, in terms of, so there's, there's a couple different ways to slice it. One is which is this study right here was focused on analytics, but I absolutely agree there's lots of ways, lots of things that that can mean, and it definitely applies to, to machine learning. Mm -hmm. One of the other things you talked about, modern app environments. One thing that we definitely see is we continue to see increased adoption of containers, Kubernetes, cloud native applications. And something else that's cropped up is when we ask organizations about this, their persistent storage challenges for container and modern app environments, performance of storage is twice as likely to be a top challenge than it is for traditional uh, traditional environments. So if we just ask for like sand storage, for example. Yeah. So, so performance plays a key role. And I think right now we may not be seeing that a ton to eat, even though it exists, I don't think we're seeing a ton just because of where adoption is in cloud native deployments, but I think that will continue to increase moving forward. Um, but but also with any sort of traditional file, if if you have a if it's an application that's running file to data that you use as part of your whether it's an industry solution, you know you, when you think about industry solutions that do file, you think a lot about you know energy or media entertainment or um, you know, there, there's a number of different industries here. Um, having all flash environment, having a large all flash environment definitely plays a huge role and offers huge benefits. 
So what then relative to, you know, we'll bring it back to kind of the file and object piece, then what are the advantages that you see? I mean, let's, you know, obviously we're trying to talk about something like FlashBlade here where we're, you know, positioning that as a great solution where you can aggregate the file and object. But what, what about that do, do you think that enables Pure to do and kind of the prospects in this space of modern apps as you've been discussing, you know, where it's no longer about separating things out. We're saying, look, here's, here's a platform where we can handle all these different workload types and app types, you know, even, you know, even backup and restore, right, on a singular platform that, you know, scales linearly. And, and I used a term when we talked earlier about like multi-dimensionality, which I thought was really interesting. What, what does that enable Pure to do with that kind of offering? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's, that's a key aspect to think about is not just the, the different protocols, but the way you can scale both from a capacity standpoint and, and how much headroom, I guess, there, there is from a performance standpoint, you can do a lot. And I think one of the things that is a term that I typically dislike in, in, in IT is ease of use. You know, we, we joked, uh, Rob, before, the, uh, yeah. before, this, uh, before we started recording that, you know, I'm still waiting for a product to tell me it's hard to use. Uh, <laughs> One day, one day, someone will tell Some, me. You know, somewhere, someone's going to do that. Like, you want oh, some complexity? Yeah, you want complexity? Check us out. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but where I'm going with this is, one way you actually deliver ease of use is you take something where before you needed six things to do something, and now you only need one thing yeah. to do that same thing. And it is through consolidation. And so, you know, one of the things that I continually hear from organizations is by leveraging a platform like this, something that consolidate, that offers that multi-dimensionality that you talked about from both a protocol standpoint, from an app, from supporting different types of apps, as well as the scale from, a, from both capacity and performance standpoint. By, by consolidating all that onto one platform, what it does is not only do you have, you know, there's fewer things to buy and manage, there's fewer, you know, agreements and licensing contracts you have to keep track of, but also the fact that how much of a challenge simply, you know, performance, you know, diagnosing performance issues, finding out, managing, you know, whether it's quality of service or different apps have different demands at different times and trying to balance that has become for the modern IT organization. You know, I, one of the things that will probably, you know, not go unnoticed by the audience, but I think is important to call out is the fact that we talk about all this data growth. Yeah, this, you know, fast, fast data growth. Nobody's getting more people. You know, there, there aren't, there, you know, no one's saying, you know what? Your data has been doubling every two years. We're going to double the IT staff. We're, we're, we're going to do that. Tell you. No one's saying that. So uh, many of the organizations I talk to still have very, very lean teams mm -hmm. when it comes to managing this infrastructure. And if you can consolidate it on a platform that can deliver that multidimensionality, I mean, that's a huge savings in terms of everything you have to worry about. And the other aspect that, uh, that often, you know, doesn't also get talked enough about is these IT teams now are finding themselves, because we talked about the digital business and COVID and digital transformation, are finding themselves, now they're in the critical path of new business development. Uh, and so if you can free up your IT staff from managing all these little challenges, now they have more time to actually help your line of business teams go execute on that data. And that, you know, it's difficult to quantify, but in, in 
all my conversations with end users, it shows up where there's an anecdote of, oh yeah, because we were able to do this, we were able to free up, you know, Joe to go work with our line of business team. They go, they went and created this new business segment. And now because of that, we have this new revenue opportunity. I hear that so often. And how that starts is through consolidation to where you can free up resources to go think about bigger and, and, and larger challenges. Yeah, I feel like for a while as, as marketers like I am, we've always used that line, you know, we help you, you know, we, we free up time to help you innovate. But when you hear those anecdotes, you know, I have a, a favorite customer that, that I'm kind of tight with down in Southern California, and he actually did this, you know, it was a it was an IT staff of, you know, two or three people managing the database real estate combined with storage. And, you know, when they brought us in, all of a sudden he was freed up and there was a job in, you know, at his university in the analytics in the, you know, AI and he's off being an AI ML guy. And that was something that, that was good for his growth and his career because they only needed half a head to manage the, the DBA and storage real estate. So it's great that you're validating that you hear those kinds of, uh, of same things as well. Um, do you talk to peer customers at all? Do you get any kind of feedback from them about, you know, what they like or, you know, what we're doing in this space that's interesting with, with the UFFO? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I talk to everybody's customers. Sure. I, I would say uh, Pure's customers always tend to be, you know, some of the most passionate. You know, we talked about events. I am always impressed at how passionate all your customers are at your events. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I've done, um, I've been part of conversations where, uh, a potential customer or a non-pure customer will ask the pure speaker, hey, tell me why I should do X. Mm-hmm. Or the pure speaker can talk, one of your customers will interrupt you go, no, 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 I'll just tell them how we used it. <laughs> they'll, love they'll love it. I'll, don't worry, I'll talk to them. Yeah. Um, and so you get a lot of that because, you know, I talked about that, the anecdotes of, you know, how it saved, saved time for people so they can do other things. It's, it's really interesting because that type of concept, if someone hasn't used the technology, is so hard to convince them that it's a true benefit. Because they're like, really, are you sure? And then once it gets deployed, then it's amazing how often they do come back and go, yeah, actually there was an opportunity. Um, you know, it, it always reminds me of, you know, you every now and then, and this is something I'm, I'm absolutely against, is I'll, see, I'll hear someone say, Oh, well, if you make it too easy, then my job goes away or something like that. And to me, first off, that's a ludicrous argument. Um, but the, the other aspect of it is I've always said, you know, if, if you're essential, yes, they need you, but you can also never do anything else. And every business, you know, I think one of the things that we see is nearly a third of organizations have a problematic skill shortage in IT architecture and planning cloud architecture and plan. I mean, all these different big things around, hey, we want to go do something more with this data and we can't find enough people. There's, there's plenty of work to go around and freeing up the basic blocking and tackling, you know, just opens up tons of new opportunities. Yeah, there's, there's always something new to learn. And, and let's face it, you know, automation is going to happen in many of these spaces uh, you know, with or without you, right? It's, it's going to happen. So what are those new things that you can go off and learn? And certainly I think the, the, you know, the savvy and intelligent businesses are the ones that can look at those resources and those hours and that time that's freed up and go, 
well, here's something that's going to, that's going to generate, you know, future business opportunity. Let's go, let's go put them on this project and take a look. You know, we've already invested in these resources. So I, I agree. I'm happy that you said it's, it's a ludicrous argument because I always feel challenged by, um, by that one. Um, but hey, let's, let's take it home. What, you know, final thoughts, you know, we've kind of navigated in and around the, the, the file and object and unification there. If, if folks are out there listening and, and they're, they're kind of challenged with some of the things you talked about relative to, to data lake or their silos or they're not able to scale their data, what, you know, kind of what would be your advice? What I, what I would seriously look at is you know, to your point, or to kind of what we're talking about, just to reiterate, is how do I consolidate? How yeah. do I think about data differently? Don't think about it as, you know, we need to make sure it's stored and protected. Start from a different, you know, paradigm or a different mindset of where is this data going to be used and how do I make, sh make sure it's available as efficiently as possible? One of the one of my favorite jokes I hear, we talked about analytics and, and machine learning, is uh, ninety percent of a data scientist's job is is two, is comprised of two activities. One is cleaning the data. The second one is complaining about cleaning the data. <laughs> and and you know, for those of you that may not be familiar with data science and the activities, cleaning the data is okay. We have all these data sets that are spread across this entire complex environment. How do I find out which ones matter and how do I put them in a format that can actually be used by our training algorithms? And what often happens within machine learning environments is companies go hire data scientists and they go, hire, they go build the training infrastructure and then they don't ever think about, oh wait, how do we get the data in the training infrastructure? And then that becomes a huge bottleneck and challenge and cost. Um, and so it goes back to it is, don't, you know, if you think about from an architecture standpoint, don't just think, okay, how do I make sure data is protected? Think about where is this going to be used and how do I make sure it's used um, as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And I think, you know, probably kind of the, the a final data point I'll, I'll throw out there on this is we did a study on um, line of business executives and asked them, how do you feel about IT? And organizations were more than four times as likely to identify IT as a business inhibitor than as a competitive differentiator. Yeah. And when we ask them why, the top two reasons, the top two most commonly identified reasons were I can't find the data I need to do my job and IT takes too long to get stuff done. And what's fascinating about that is when I talk to IT executives and IT professionals, I ask them, what's your job? What are you measured on? They go, oh, it's availability of service. It's service availability. It's how much the data is protected. I'm like, really? Because you have a big group of people out here that are saying you're not doing your job because <laughs> they can't find their data and it's taken too long. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's, that part of the mindset shift is something that we need to happen. Now, granted, what's the, you know, the tough part is those first jobs and making sure that services and data is protect that services stay available and data is protected. That hasn't gone away, but um, but at the same time, we you know companies are being built on how quickly they can find and use data, and that needs to be part of the prioritization when we think about the storage infrastructure. Well, good summary, and I love that you've got one more data point and anecdote in there. Thanks for coming so prepared with all the data. It added a lot of really great color 
um, behind this discussion. Hey, Scott, thanks. I, I, I hope you can come back again soon. That was really insightful and uh, I had a great time chatting with you. That was fun. Yeah, sure thing, Rob. This was great. Anytime. Anything, uh, anything you want to plug? I know you've got your, uh, your page out there at ESG. You've got blogs and other related research, but anything you want to plug where people can follow you on Twitter? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Twitter at uh, Scott underscore S-I-N, uh, short for Sinclair. So Scott, S-C-O-T-T underscore S-I-N. And uh, I have a blog on uh, ESG hyphen global.com which is our website where you know you can learn about and follow all of our analysts and, and our blogs and where we talk about our research and, and have conversations similar to this. So, uh, uh, but yeah, thanks a lot, Rob. This has been great. No, thanks for coming on. And uh, please, uh, listeners, go out and check out what, uh, what Scott has been up to, particularly a couple of the things we talked about at the beginning, really interesting insights on COVID and events. And of course, uh, some of the reports and research that he referenced relative to our discussion on file and object. And if you want to find out more about what Pure is doing in that space, you can go to purestorage.com slash flashblade and get our perspectives and our take on why we think you should be looking at unified file and object for some of these modern app challenges. Um, thanks everybody for listening, for telling a colleague Keep sending in the topic suggestions and we will keep bringing great guests like Scott to the program. And with that, we will wrap for Pure Storage and Scott Sinclair. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. <laughs>